0: The case of the Holy Land Five is obviously one of the biggest injustices. Today's guest, daughters of Shukri Abubakar, one of the Holy Land Five political prisoners, Nidhar and Zuhaira. It really became the
1: largest Muslim American charity in America. 9-11 happened and everything went downhill. And
0: ACLU said that the Holy Land Foundation case was part of a pattern of U.S. government targeting faith-based charities on the basis of, quote, unsubstantiated evidence. After the first
2: trial, we had one of the prosecutors leave. He said there was no evidence. The occupation never stopped. Stopped, and also, no matter where you live, the occupation follows you. End of October, my dad suffered a near death experience. Everyone loves my dad. If it weren't for the other inmates <laughs>
1: begging the COs to pick him up and get medical attention, he would have been left there to die. They had to escort
0: him to the hospital. His lungs collapsed. Testimony of two anonymous Israeli security officials.
3: I wouldn't even trust a Zionist source that I know. <inaudible>
0: Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B.
3: What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok. Michael Schertzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you got really mad at what Lionel Messi was wearing.
0: Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest podcast, the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on Patreon.com slash Today's guests are daughters of Shukri Abu Bakr, one of the Holy Land Five political prisoners. Nida is an activist, artist, and writer, and Zuhaira is a mental health counselor. Both are based out of Dallas, Texas. Nida and Zuhaira, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. <laughs> <I> really
3: appreciate <laughs> it. Oh Wow, in unison.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, you both look great. mashallah.
1: That's so sweet. You're
3: so
0: cute. That's so cute. So Nida, Zuhaira, your father's case has been in the hearts and minds of Palestinians for many, many years now. But recently we saw a resurgence of the case of the Holy Land Five in the news in the last couple of months and the strong campaign brought forward by advocacy groups to get your father and the rest of the Holy Land Five released. Can you talk a little bit about this recent campaign and what the situation is like for your father and the rest of the political prisoners right now?
2: So basically the whole Free the Holy Land Five movement has been going on ever since the whole case started. But I recently like revived it after what this incident that happened with my dad, the end of October, because he is in one of the worst prisons in the US. The end of October, he suffered a near death experience. So I mean, we just had enough of it. And we don't want this to happen again. So that's when I just decided to speak up on Instagram. And I reached out to Different organizations like Within Our Lifetime, the Coalition for Civil Freedoms, PYM, they have been amazing and they helped set up this whole online campaign. And if anyone else wants to learn more about this, they can go on Within Our Lifetime um, on their website and they have like everything you need to know about the case, the resources, who you can reach out to if you want to help. And like it's just a one stop shop for everything. And thanks to people like you guys, we are getting more attention and spreading more awareness for this injustice that's going on.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that your father is being held in one of the worst prisons in the U.S., USP Beaumont. It's a high security prison in Texas where deadly fights break out often. Earlier this year, multiple inmates were killed as a result of fighting, not to mention the health risks that he's obviously facing with COVID and other viruses. And you mentioned that your father had a recent near-death experience. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and what happened? You can go ahead. He spoke to you.
1: Um... So fights are always breaking out in the in the prison that he's in and I think a couple years ago he had a very similar experience where a fight broke out and so what the guards usually do to kind of, you know, like a quick fix, I guess you could say, is that they they spray like a I don't know what it's even called, it's like a mace slash pepper spray. It's tear it's gas.
3: It's tear gas.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really want to say tear gas, but I guess it is some some kind of tear gas. It's extremely extremely strong and so he a couple years ago he kind of got caught up in the middle of it because the fights always break out when they're like on break or during lunch or whatever and so this time something very similar happened I mean it's just so chaotic it's like worse than what you see in movies and people are like stabbing and people are dying and, and so they sprayed it again but this time my dad's reaction was extremely bad and he went unconscious and he even told us like when I heard his voice it just sounded like he could barely breathe and I was like are you like sick like what's wrong and you know he was just like um I literally saw your sister I saw my dad like I saw all my like dead loved ones I I just you know that's like a sign that you're dead when you see like dead loved ones or whatever and so he's like I really I I know that I was dead for like for a while they had to escort him to the hospital there and they told him that like his lungs collapsed and they, they don't think it'll ever handle it again because this is the second time it's happened and Obviously, you have to you know, account for his age, right? Like he he's in his what is he like sixty 65, 64, sixty five about sixty four sixty five, yeah. And so like it's just not a place for somebody who's an elderly, especially someone like him who's not like a lot of these guys are younger, they're physically fit, and they're just in a fight or flight all the time. Like they 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 don't think like they're just. A lot of them are in there for life. It's it's you know high security. So they don't really care what happens to even themselves. So he's kinda of like the bystander. He's he's literally going to always be in the wrong place at the wrong time, if that makes sense. And so that's kind of what happened this time.
2: And mind you, like they're all wearing the tan jumpsuits. So the COs, the guards, they're not gonna be able to tell who is who. They're just gonna want to protect themselves. And if they see a man dead lying on the floor they're not going to go help him but if it weren't for the other inmates cuz everyone loves my dad there if it weren't for the other inmates literally begging the COs to pick him up and get medical attention he would have been left there to die
0: the case of the holy land 5 is obviously one of the biggest injustices you know if you're talking to any palestinian american and 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 you and you bring up this case not only does everyone know who the holy land 5 are who knows the Holy Land Foundation because we all used to donate to it during Ramadan. We used to give our zakat to the Holy Land Foundation. I remember being really young and my parents always giving to the Holy Land Foundation, you know, every single year. It was a, a huge part of being Palestinian-American growing up in, you know, the the mid to late 90s and, and early 2000s. Let's just be very clear for the people who are maybe hearing about this case right now and, and don't have any background. Can you tell us what the Holy Land Foundation was? What were they doing? And what was your father's role in setting up this foundation?
1: Yeah, of course. So it kind of started with my sister, Olaid Hamha, who passed away years ago. She was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and thalassemia in the early 80s, right when the first and the fall that was happening. So parents are extremely young parents and, you know, trying to figure out what they could do for their daughter and they were just so astonished and amused by all the amazing medical you know advances that this country had and how they treat especially children's hospitals which just so I mean they still are beyond amazing and he said this is what he told us is that he was watching the news at the <laughs> time about how the intifada broke out while my sister was in the hospital bed and he was like I want to do that for the less fortunate like at least here you know, there's just so many more resources over there. These like these innocent kids are caught up in a war zone and, you know, their parents are dying and they're dying and they don't even have like the simple access to like humanitarian needs. And so that's kind of how the HLF was born because of my sister Sanabel. And so we, you know, started and found a group of friends that wanted to, you know, shared the same passion. And so that's kind of how, how it all kind of, was conceived and was born. And then it really became the largest um Muslim American charity in America, which was huge, 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 huge. I mean, they were really ahead of their game for for a Muslim charity, an American Muslim charity. A lot of people I think get caught up with it being just about Palestine, but it really wasn't. I mean they were doing things worldwide, internationally, even nationally. We had a lot of food banks here. We worked very closely with our homeless population and a lot of different centers here. Oklahoma City bombing, they were the first mm-hmm. people to like travel and donate. donate. I remember like earthquakes, Afghanistan and, and, and Pakistan. They did a lot of that type of work. It was just humanitarian aid. It was always based on need, not creed. That was like kind of their logo for a while, which was very true. So That's amazing. it wasn't really, it wasn't just about Palestine. I feel so many people like, oh, it was a Muslim thing or it was an Arab thing, or it was... but it wasn't because mind you, my dad wasn't even, he's not even full Palestinian. Mm-hmm. He's half Palestinian. So it's not that like it was only about that, right? And also his mom and a lot of half of his family was of Christian, like they were Christian. So it wasn't his focus wasn't just to help those of a certain type and a certain religion, and a certain race or ethnicity. It was again based on need, not creed. And so that's what he worked so passionately about. I mean, they were really ahead of their game. They had like billboards, mm-hmm. even on buses and yeah. stuff like that. No social the, media. media. This
0: was before social no, media. No social media. Yeah. No social they had media.
1: newsletters.
2: Um, and they've even had like celebrities reach out to them yeah. wanting to like those like. Uh, we had like, like infomercials. Yeah. <laughs> had, like,
1: a, I think like a bowlathon. We had like a bunch of like. Yeah. Uh, basketball and NFL players that came so they were like when I think about it like for a Muslim charity they were really 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 out of their hands doing big things and I think that's one of the reasons why it was intimidating like there's Mm -hmm. big Muslim American charities doing big things with big people and again wasn't just about Muslim Arabs or or Palestinians they were they were doing things nationally internationally
2: yeah I Um, mean like they've had they had an office in Brazil for a while too mm -hmm. because that's where half of my dad's family is based in Brazil So, like, he really didn't just focus on, like, Arabs and Muslims. No, he focused on everyone because, I mean, he is a lover of of humanity. Like, he wanted to help restore humanity itself.
3: Yeah, you said he was half Brazilian and half Palestinian?
2: Half Italian, but him and his mother were born in Brazil. Yeah, okay.
1: they all came to um, Brazil during the war, and so then... They so were they were also refugees. There,
3: so. Yeah. So the Zionists heard half Palestinian and they were like still too much.
1: I know. I told mm-hmm. my dad I was like you, you were either screwed either way like you're either going to be like in jail because of being a Palestinian or maybe the mafia like it's I don't know at this point like they're going <laughs> to tie you in something. 9/11 happened and then post 9/11 hysteria and it's just everything went downhill and they were the scapegoats and and it know. was
2: exactly 2 months after mm-hmm. September 11th when the HLF was shut down. Yeah. By Israeli orders, by the way. Sharon himself came and spoke to Bush and was like, we got to get these guys. Shut them down.
1: Yeah, it was so personal.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, the ACLU has previously said that the Holy Land Foundation case was part of a pattern of U.S. government targeting faith-based charities on the basis of quote unsubstantiated evidence and without even basic due process protections other civil rights organizations have been advocating for this for your father for the holy land 5 because of this disproportionate targeting of them and other muslim charities it's it's really you know w- w- michael and i we started doing the research to prepare for this episode and he was telling me just before we got on th- when you look at the evidence there was no evidence Mm-mm.
3: Literally none. I'm going to read to you all from like prepared remarks for the attorney general, John Ashcroft on the indictment. Okay. First off, John Ashcroft is a guy who lost his Senate reelection campaign to a dead man. Okay. People involved in politics know that it's extremely hard to lose a Senate race, especially reelection. Right. But the people of Missouri were like, we have more faith in a literal corpse. Anyways, so from his statements on the indictment, I found quite a few things. In the indictment, the defendants targeted specifically for financial aid families related to well-known Hamas terrorists killed or jailed by the Israelis. In this manner, the defendants effectively rewarded past and encouraged future suicide bombings and terrorist activities on behalf of Hamas. Miko Peled, in his book, Injustice, the Story of the Holy Land Foundation 5, says the defense demonstrated clearly that of the list of orphans, none of their fathers were involved in what could be described as terrorism. Furthermore, out of roughly 200 suicide bombers that operated in Palestine at the time, none had children. In fact, the Holy Land Foundation sent money to children of men that Hamas had assassinated for collaborating with Israel. Okay. Further from Ashcroft's remarks, this prosecution would have been more difficult, if not impossible, were it not for the tools provided by the USA Patriot Act. After that law's passage, much of the information that had been gathered by intelligence agents related to this investigation became available for use by prosecutors. Indeed, significant, compelling evidence that will be used at this trial in this case was derived through court-authorized surveillance under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. That's the FISA court, which allows for secret trials, secret evidence, like the unknown testimony of somebody named Avi, who allegedly works for some intelligence organization that nobody got to talk about or to or scrutinize. Prosecutors also use the Patriot Act authority to that allowed the court in Dallas to issue search warrants for locations outside the Dallas district. That that alone, these are like the prepared remarks. From the guy who's like explaining it all with a bow. And even in his speech. He's like it was out of our jurisdiction. And basically we had no evidence. We had to do it in secret court. Like what? Okay. And then. This was the the last sentence of his remarks. Was to those who exploit good hearts. To fund secretly violence and murder. This prosecution sends a clear message. There is no distinction between those who carry out terrorist attacks and those who knowingly finance terrorist attacks. The United States will ensure that both terrorists and their financers meet the same certain justice. And then they went on to murder a million people in Iraq and Afghanistan and displace people all over Syria and continue to bomb Yemen. and. It's like, none of those people are in jail. You know, like those people, Obama's got a podcast on Spotify. George Bush is like painting for fun and making speeches and nobody's throwing shoes at him anymore. You know what I mean? Like,
2: (laughs) right. No, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, do you remember after the first trial, we had one of the prosecutors leave? They left the team because he basically said there was no evidence that it was a waste of time. He didn't want to waste his time, time and money. <laughs>
0: yeah. We had Miko Pellet on the show one of our first few episodes and I remember he told us that the first trial which ended in a mistrial relied heavily on evidence in the form of testimony of two anonymous Israeli security officials.
3: Imagine trusting an anonymous Zionist source. I wouldn't even trust a Zionist source that I know. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> you can't trust the ones you know.
3: They had a face <laughs> and a name and they were there and they're like, "Hi, I'm a Zionist. This is what I'm saying." I'd be like, "I don't believe you." You know what I mean? What? Let alone somebody who's not even there to be scrutinized.
2: For all we know, we, they could have just picked up any person off the street and said, "Oh, this is a uh, an, an expert but we know yeah. nothing they about were, him like what's his credibility he what sm- he
1: could smell hamas remember, he could smell hamas expert.
2: okay he could
3: smell hamas
1: that's what he said yeah.
3: what does hamas what, smell is a like level,
1: that's a level of expertise okay guys like come on
3: I would guess garlic and onions if I had to, but I don't know. (laughs)
1: Hearing that, and we were just like laughing. Like, we're like, what is it? What? Yeah, you know, also, we did spend a good
2: time laughing at a lot lot of of what they had to say. (laughs) I think that's where a lot
1: of our shock came from. Because I was like, there's no way anyone would fall for this. It's one of the
3: more flimsily written legal documents that I've ever seen. And I'm not even like a legal expert. You know, like, I'm just a Jew who knows the law a little bit.
1: (laughs) I mean, their focus, um, again, it it just boils down to the post 9-11 hysteria, Islamophobia, like everything you can think of. And the whole focus was on Hamas when it had really nothing. They were even showing like videos of like these kids. with Oh, yeah. First of all, it wasn't even in Palestine. Like it had nothing to do with Palestine. I think it was like these Afghani kids that were like in a protest. Nothing. But obviously, jurors are not going to be asking like, oh, what's that? These, these men and then they it's just like it was a huge scare tactic like, so yeah, what they, they, they do they is aspect,
2: they get people that know nothing about the middle east nothing about current affairs nothing and then they fill their heads with these images and brainwash them so that once they hear the word "shukri," hamas terrorist they're going to tie it all together and they're just going to have this really ugly picture of my dad
1: And a lot of it was obviously guilty by association it was we always say this till this day that they were guilty till proven innocent. It was It's not innocent till proven. Everything in the name of this judicial system and our legal system was such a betrayal. And like you said earlier, you were talking about how like this happened in this country. Like we were born and raised here. I'm an American. I feel betrayed. And even when they started to focus on the whole zakat thing, this U.S. was giving the same with the same zakat committees. So, like, the same.
2: Yeah. The only difference is that these were Palestinians helping Palestinians
0: the case was propped up on the basis of the testimony of two individuals from the apartheid government that occupies Palestine and they never made themselves known and obviously have a clear conflict of interest in the outcome. So how can you even challenge that evidence? Or what is the weight of that evidence? Is that evidence credible? These are questions that I I think are are uh, really need to be grappled with. And then the first trial ends in, in, in a mistrial, and then there's the second trial, right? And the second trial, they're able to secure the the conviction. The judge who presided the second criminal trial, he permitted documents that had been excluded as hearsay in the first trial. Those documents had been taken from the PA headquarters by the occupation, right? So the occupation is now handing documents over to the United States. Again, No conflict of interest here, right? Can we even guarantee what's in those documents? Do we know that they were not tampered? Do we know that they were not invented? There's no way to know, right? But you're getting them from the occupation who has every interest in making sure that Palestinians do not succeed, do not thrive anywhere in the world. Those documents were written anonymously and contained hearsay evidence, which is generally not allowed in U.S. courts. It's against the rules of evidence to submit hearsay or to rely on it as as a judge.
3: It was just a blank document that said, fuck them all. <laughs>
0: No, actually, it, it basically almost was that egregious, right? One of those questionable documents listed the HLF as a source of Hamas funding. It was, you know, just a document that said HLF, you know, funds Hamas or whatever. The, the government presented that as evidence. And it, it's on the basis of this, you know, the videos that were shown, ambiguous videos with ambiguous, you know, resistance fighters from an ambiguous place.
3: One of the sources on the document came from the Bermuda Triangle, I believe. <laughs>
0: So it's on the basis of 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 all this quote unquote evidence that then in November two thousand and eight the jury convicted all five defendants and the organization as well on all counts, including supporting a quote unquote terrorist group, tax fraud, and money laundering. Can you talk? Maybe can you give us a sense of what you know your family was going through after the first trial ends in a mistrial, and then you hear that there's you know there's going to be a new trial. Were you hopeful at the time? Did you think that, you know, okay, we won. And so this next trial definitely has to end in the same way. Or was it just this sense of like, we don't, we really don't know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I I definitely think that. What I can say is I don't think anyone thought this would ever happen after the first trial. Also confident and a little more relaxed, I'd say. So the day of the verdict was just a big shock for everyone. I I started yelling at the judge from how shocked I was. I was only 13, 14 at the time. And I, I stood up and I started yelling at him. As soon as I heard the words guilty, I was like, all he did was help people all over the world and our people here. And this is how you repay him. He's not an animal for you to lock him up in a cage. This is my dad. And I was just like yelling and pointing at him. And then he, his face just turned so red. And he was like, you need to sit down young lady before I arrest you too. And then all these guards came around me, they were literally ready to, to take me. And then that's when like my mom stood up and was like, you can't take her, she's only a kid. And my dad came back out to hug me. And like little did I know, like that would be the last time I would hug him as a free man. It was just insane and ridiculous. And everyone, everyone was in shock. Even even the jurors, like uh the day of the sentencing. This lady came up to my sister and she was crying in tears. And she was like, I never thought that he would get sentenced to 65 years. I thought, what, four years max? Is that what she said? I thought four years max. Who was this? One of the jury. Oh. Yeah. So it was a shock for absolutely everyone. No one thought that it would end up like this.
1: Wow. I mean, you, you you feel like the first trial was a victory, a huge victory for us, right? Because like you always think about it as like the U.S. government, and then like these five men. And so second time around, I think, like you said, we're really confident, mm-hmm. but. I was in the back of my head like, man, they're going to go hard like this. They're not going to let this go again. That balance like, you, the, like he was government, these five men like it's just it's not. But again, that, you know, hope and that that confidence like, oh, we got this. And so that 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 word, that guilty word, it's like I literally think we all have PTSD from it mm-hmm. because. You literally, you know, when you feel that fear in your legs and your heart sinks down and, like, you can't even feel like you just go numb. And then everyone was just, like, looking at each other. And then our dads kind of looked back at us. Mm-hmm. I remember the lawyers couldn't even look at Like, we were just all – and then, let alone, like, we weren't even expecting that they weren't going to come home with us. So we thought, like, okay, they're guilty. We're going to go home. We're going to figure it out. Sentencing will be in May. This was in November of 2008. Sentencing will be in May. So, okay, we're just going to go home, figure this out. Like, no, it's not the end of it. Like, Okay. And so then they took them right then and there. So within hours, our whole lives completely changed and were shattered within hours because of this word guilty. I mean, eh. and then they only let a few of us from each family, two people from each family say goodbye like then they had to minutes. get like their glasses yeah. and all their stuff. And then they took everything like their IDs or passports. And, you know, and so I was like literally the last time we saw our dad as a free man in suits. And then for the last 15 years, we've been seeing them in um, a great jumpsuit. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, crazy. It
0: was crazy. In addition to um, the testimony of the so-called anonymous Israeli officials that was used during the first trial, much of the evidence that was used to convict the defendants was, quote, secret evidence. So according to one of the lawyers of the Holy Land Five, the defendants were unable to review actual pieces Mm -hmm. of evidence that were collected through government wiretapping for quote-unquote national security reasons, and were being used against them. So imagine, this is the exact same kind of tactics that the Israeli military courts engage in when they're prosecuting Palestinian activists at their, you know, 99.7% prosecution rate in in, in Palestine, administrative detention. They say, okay, we've got all this evidence, but, you know, we can't tell you what it is, and we're going to use it to hold you, detain you, deprive you of your liberty. Same exact thing that the apartheid state engages in, except this is being engaged in by the United States of America. I think about that when we hold ourselves to certain moral standards and we we think of ourselves highly as a country and say that, oh, no, no, this could never happen in America, right? Well, it did happen in America and it happened to American citizens.
3: Can you speak to specifically what your dad's role was in the foundation?
1: He was the CEO. He was kind of like the guy that like started it. And to be honest... um with like obviously respect to everybody else, everyone else had other like actual jobs. The thing is with my dad, like he didn't even have a backup plan. Like the HLF was his baby. And I remember when it shut down, I remember how stressed out he was. He had to wear a neck brace. Cause like for some reason in our family, our tension. Stress, oh, was yeah. stress. Stress. and he was like, I literally, because at the time he had only buried his, his, his one and only son. So he to, to the HLF was like his baby girl. And he was like, Today, literally, he. Everyone was in in the house, like all the HFM, he was like, "Today, I'm burying my daughter. This is. I feel like it's my daughter, which is kind of ironic how he said that. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, it's so metaphoric because this was later years on, before my sister passed. passes away, but he's like, I feel like I'm burying my child because I gave everything. He, like, mind you, he did not have a backup plan. This is all he put his whole life in his whole every inch of like his like sweat, tears, blood was in the HLF because he had, he was just very like humanitarian. He was just very like mission oriented that this is what I want to do. I want to help these kids. So he didn't really think of like, oh, like if something were to happen, what do I do on the side? Like a lot of people had other jobs, like whether they were engineers or like they had like businesses or whatever, he had nothing. He didn't have a backup plan. So the HLF was everything to him. So for us, like specifically his daughter's, like, when I tell you that we spent every summer, every break after school, like, helping and stuffing envelopes, looking at the orphans and looking at the letters they would send, like, help organize those things. And we even had, like, our sister, like, the one that we had sponsored, and it was and Like, I remember, mm-hmm. like, all these things, like, it was just so it, – it was extra personal for us. Like, and I even remember when they shut down the HLF, like, I was crying. I was trying to go in, and they had the caution tape. I was like, that's my home. Like, you don't understand what yeah. you did. You didn't just – and then you didn't just close down this this you know you you messed up people's homes and lives forever but in the back of my head I was like no no, no. like in a couple months they shuffle like yeah I'm like there's just no way this is gonna happen like and then freezing the assets oh no big deal you know like in the back of your head because you're just like an utter shock that like there's just
0: how can this even happen? So l- girls, uh, let's talk about the way forward. You've reignited this campaign to, to release your father and the other um, remaining political prisoners. I think right now there's only two others in addition to your father that are still mm-hmm. detained. What do you hope for? If, if you had a message to send, who would you send it to? and and And, and what do you want to say?
2: It would be straight to the president because he's the only one that can do anything about this. Literally, we've exhausted every legal route, and the only solution right now is a presidential pardon. Message to him, I guess, would be to just give us another chance and let me talk to you. Like, I want to talk to you. I doubt that would ever happen, though, but... (laughs) He's uh, a
3: big I'm fan of like the you. pod, actually. So.
2: <laughs> oh, for real? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: No, but you know what? Twitter's a magical place. And uh, so is, you know, social media. So Exactly. Know, I hit. really
2: believe that, like, we underestimate the power of social media. And I say this all the time, like, whether you have 10,000 followers or t- 100 followers, like, there could be that one follower. That might have a connection and might be
1: able to, you know, help us out somehow. A lot of people do always ask, like, what can we do? Like, how can we, can we, like, donate? But, I mean, I think at this point, like you said, like, we've exhausted every legal avenue that right now it's more about, like, uniting and, like, spreading awareness and also helping share that awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, like... It's it's beyond us. It's beyond even money at this point. I mean, money always helps, but like there's nothing that we can really do with that right now. And it's like you just don't know who might share that post that may, might make a huge, you know, effort or or an impact. There are people we've reached out like, have you done this? Have you reached out to this person know, yeah. Like we've reached out to almost everybody. You can think of every organization you would think would be interested in. Again, this is not the place, maybe it is the place, but I'm not going to see her name drop or like, say like, that. Da, da, da. but there is a lot of disappointment, because there's so many people that could literally just I swear, if you just share the story, like so many people are going to see it. And but I mean, I don't know, I have kind of lost hope in like a lot of communities. And it doesn't come out of any like, there's nowhere like that comes out of like some a place of resentment or hatred or anger. I'm just kind of like confused, like, especially when certain people are, you know, Wearing their like Palestinian thobe and talking about how they're like proud to be American Palestinians I and talking about you. all this stuff, advocate for mm-hmm. every other movement going. And then when it comes to the HLF, it's like silent. I'm talking about the ones that are American Palestinian, whether they're influencers or activists or politicians, who're constantly speaking about it. But then you want to talk about every issue and every other movement, which I'm I'm all for because I'm going to be honest, this is really the time. Like we've never seen social media, we've never seen un- unity like this. And then Palestine, for finally in the past year, has kind of you know it's like the thing now. Like let's talk about Palestine, and it's the cool thing. And maybe for now it's a fad. I don't know, but at least truth is coming out finally. So if any time this is really the time for all of us to unite, join forces, and and fight for humanity, because humanity is not just about a race or an ethnicity or a religion. Humanitarian is about basically giving people their basic. Humanitarian needs and wants in life. So if you're sitting here and advocating specifically about being uh, an American Palestinian, how proud you are, and you have a thob and you eat makluba and, and a knafa, and, and is it schnaf or a knafa? But then you can't even talk about the HLF five, like they're actual Palestinian Americans. Like it doesn't get closer. Ho- like you know, yeah. it doesn't hit home closer than that, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's a 15 year old case. So shame, shame on all of us. Again, I'm not trying to sound so like, but it's like these things that nobody wants to talk about. And it's not because of who my dad is or it's my dad, because it could literally be anyone's dad. It could be anyone's uncle. It could be anyone's friend, whatever. Please, I want my tax money to go and help my own country. We have a lot of issues that mm-hmm. we need to take care of: education, our health system. I mean, homeless. Like, please put that money towards that 100. percent But for my money to go to a foreign country that's directly also affecting me and killing innocent people, then no, I have a problem with that. And then you want to talk about it, but then you don't want to bring up these five men. That that astonishes me all the time. They're and afraid of the H word, and we—they don't, people, no, they don't want to associate
2: themselves about it. No, but they don't want to associate themselves to okay. to. Look like they're supporting people who support Hamas, if that makes sense.
0: But in reality, they're just falling into exactly the same trap of the bad evidence and the stereotyping and the racist tropes that were used against your father and the other political prisoners in the Holy Land Five um, to carry out this unjust conviction right so so when when you as an american palestinian or palestinian american or whatever are afraid to go there and to talk about that because of this false connection that was created between you know your father the organization and hamas it's like being palestinian american but then not wanting to show up for all of what that means
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and that unfortunately i think is 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 is, is a result of the heaviness and the weight of, of. All of this, you know, campaign, this propaganda that's against us and that, you know, makes us sort of ashamed to be Palestinian or, oh, no, I'm Palestinian, but I believe in nonviolence or whatever, or whatever they mm-hmm. want us to say. You know, they want us to be this perfect victim or they want us to be this just so we can basically be totally erased. Right. No. Honestly, I'm listening to you. Uh, I'm listening to you and I'm just like, I couldn't agree more. Like we we need to show up for the Holy Land vibe as Palestinian Americans, as American Palestinians. Like they are us. We are them. I mean, we we are the ones that live in this country. We grew up in this country feeling this pressure and and guilt and and and, you know, awareness of, you know, benefiting from the freedoms of being American and and the safety of of getting to live here. But then also realizing that for many of us, we didn't choose it because we're the daughters and sons of refugees and also having ties to family back home who are, you know, living under the weight of this heavy military occupation, this siege, this apartheid that is being funded with our own tax dollars. So then there's this complex like mental, you know, just heaviness that, that 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 exists in all of that. It's a lot to deal with. And and honestly, I can't imagine what you girls and what your family has been through, you know, these last 14 years and I can't commend you enough for for you know keeping your father's case alive and and reminding us reminding us keeping us aware keeping us educated about it and 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 raising this awareness and i and we'll, you know we'll do everything we can to continue to spread the message like i said one of our first episodes we went and we talked to miko about it and we we talked about the holy land 5 and we bring this case up a lot and anything we can do to support it you know we're obviously indebted to you and happy to support in any way that we can but we have to support. We have to support because you're here and these are our, these are, these are the freedoms that we, we believe that we have, right? We believe we have this freedom of association. We believe we have this freedom of religion. We believe we have this, you know, freedom to organize and all this stuff. And the Holy Land 5 case showed that actually, no, we don't have any of those rights when you're Palestinian, when you're American, we need to, to fight and we need to stand up and defend those rights because if we don't do it for ourselves, nobody else is going to.
3: Yeah and the prosecution of the HLF5 it's a clear chilling effect right like the point is don't organize for muslim communities don't engage in activities that like challenge the post 9/11 narrative basically and do not even think about giving money to those things because you will be tied so abstractly to this like intangible idea of terror where you'll be tried in a secret court with secret evidence. You don't even want these problems. You better just fucking eat apple pie and sing like this is my land type shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's a very powerful campaign to intimidate and destroy any type of Muslim organization in the United States.
1: And that's exactly what what it did and what happened. I mean, it it, they they were pretty successful with that I mean mm-hmm. it was beyond a scare tactic and and you know in the beginning we we I think from the shock I think in the beginning of it all we took a lot of things personally and I I was very upset and disappointed you know because like we're so passionate and everything that our dad did and and the HLF did so I was really shocked I had like a culture I think I was very naive too just like oh, like why people are scared and then you know you you start to realize that like This is exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to install this like fear in everybody within our community. I mean, looking back now, I, I, I realized I couldn't even blame people. Like they were going after people and saying like, if you, you Mm -hmm. know, you testify that the HLF, then you'll get your, your green card. You'll become an American citizen. A lot of that was happening. And then a lot of people are like, Oh, you're friends with them. And so the FBI would literally go after our friends because they were friends with us. So when people started to kind of keep their distance, we didn't understand. And then we, we find, we realize it. And it's like, honestly, I can't be upset with them. I can't like, it was literally this fear tactic that they installed in everybody in different ways. So maybe some of us were dealing with loved ones that were in prison and some were worried that they'll never be able to like get their you know citizenship or threats of going to jail if they didn't testify or lie. There was a lot of that happening in the community. And I know that it still like haunts a lot of people. I think a lot of people were still affected to have any ties with us or the HLF or just even like our family. It's just crazy. Like um, I finally watched Farha the other day. And it was so crazy for me to be like, wow, like this all like I'm connected somehow with that. Like this all started from then. And we still have this like, you know, like generational trauma is real. Mm-hmm. Right. I know it's like very counter, but it's real. And it's like all these years later and we're still being affected in the land of the free and the brave. Like we're in America and it still haunts us and it's still like, you know, where we're, we're we're still being targeted. And I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, it started from then. Like, yeah. wow. Like, and it's crazy.
2: Us. You know, it was only in 1948 and, and, and that was not even long ago. For me, I connected with it so, so deeply because I mean, the story was basically about the girl and her dad in the beginning. So I couldn't stop. I mean, I couldn't stop crying. Within the first 30 minutes, I stopped the movie and I just started falling in tears because I was like, okay, that was 1948. And here I am in 2022. And it's like, sort of the same thing. I don't want to give any spoilers to whoever like didn't watch it. But like, the girl was getting separated from her father. And I'm separated from my father now. All these decades later, like the struggle of the Palestinian people never stopped. And even though like, you know, the war had just started, then this is our war, like my dad may not be he didn't get killed or anything, but he's in prison as a result of being Palestinian. And that's just like, unfortunately, what we are dealing with now in the modern time. The occupation never stopped. And also, no matter where you live, the occupation follows you. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you that's know, so I, I'm not. That's so profound. It's It's so true. It's so true. It's so true. As a
2: Palestinian-American, I'm still dealing with the same exact thing they're dealing with in Palestine. You know, um, my father is in prison just because of being Palestinian. Who he chose to help. Uh, Who he chose to help. And, and, you know, people think that if we live in America, we have it good. But, I mean... (laughs) We obviously don't.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So you said the path forward is basically a presidential pardon. It seems like the way to the president would be people in Congress who are sympathetic to Palestine, right? So like Cori Bush, for example, Rashida Tlaib.
2: People always ask that question, but I feel like, I feel like if they wanted to, they could have, because I, sure. I'm no, sure like, they know
1: about it and we... You no, know, I think it to go back to what we said earlier would be maybe better just to, like that we've literally reached out to yeah. everybody <laughs> you could right. think of. But if they wanted to, they could have, like, and, I'm sure they know about it. And and for, even for pres- presidential part in the first one, when Obama and then... Trump, like I, everyone else was watching it for a different reason. Mm. Our eyes were glued. Like the reason we were watching it was completely different because we knew it was like on Obama's like desk, uh-huh. and like every second we like everyone was on their phone. We were, were at like, work. We were at work. We and we're stuff like, okay, so- is it gonna happen? He's gonna save it out. Is he gonna say like literally? We were like ninety percent. Like confident that our dads were going to be freed that day. So everyone else was mm-hmm. watching, like, "Oh my God, it's Trump and Obama." But for us, it was a completely different reason. Like we're sitting there watching, waiting. Okay, oh, he left. Okay, there's he's in the helicopter. Does that mean like he's officially like done? Like he can't make any more decisions? Oh my God! And that was another huge disappointment. Like I know we said that guilty verdict and then the sentencing was up, but that day also was extreme because we had high hopes. And then again, we try, We 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 did it again with Biden and uh, Trump, and it was another fail. So like, it's just like this constant like. Let down, let down. Yeah. And I'm I'm all for like and I've said this so many times, I've been pushing for this for the past 10 years that like we need to go after social media, we need to go like honestly, if it's Kim Kardashian that's gonna get my dad out. Like, I was just let thinking let about Kim. I swear like listen, like I'm all whatever you need, like I'm all for that. Like I, I think <laughs> at this point that's if you even see our like HLF Instagram, if you see like all the people we've shared things, it's like every celebrity Every organization, everyone was like, dude, what about this area?" I'm like, I promise you. And it's like, you said it perfectly, like they know and we've reached mm-hmm. out. So it's come to a point where it's like, we don't want to keep pushing. Their hands are tied, which whatever. And, you know, it's too political. So we keep hearing it's too political. But you talk about everything else that's beyond political. But, but that's you the know, whole the- point,
0: right? We we don't need yeah. your help if it's not political. If it wasn't political, we wouldn't be here to begin with. Yeah. yeah you know yeah, so. it's because it's political that you need this type of grand gesture and you need this type of you know person who's willing to take take a little mm-hmm. bit of heat and to defend the choice to 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 make this case a priority and to try to get this case in front of the people who can make mm-hmm. um a change And Uh, even in
1: the, like, past, like, I would say eight years, like, we've always wanted to, we changed our focus a lot. My goal is, like, for the average Joe to care. If the average Joe watches, like, a minute clip of something about the HLF and he ends up caring, then that's my goal. I want it to be, like, I need to put all that other stuff on the side, the political, whatever. It's, at the end of the day, we're not going to be the first minority to be accused of something that we never did. I mean... Every minority that came to the states—I mean, the Italian. When you went to the into Boston, like they—they were convicted of of a murder, and they never, you know. Every minority. Look at the Native Americans. I mean, they're classic Hispanics, Latino. Our black community, like we're not going to be the first or the last, even though you're going to say like it's 2022 and we're still going through all this. But at the end of the day, it's like there's such a huge like. There's just so much more that we can, we can do and we're just not doing
0: it. And so, yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned Sacco Vanzetti. Mm -hmm. So on actually just happened. So on December Mm -hmm. 18th, the Holy Land Foundation were given the Sacco-Vanzetti Award for Social Justice by the Boston Community Church. And that honor was named after Nicola Sacco and Bartolomo Vanzetti, two Italian immigrants who were executed in 1927 on charges of armed robbery and murder after a trial that was seen as largely based on anti-Italian sentiment at the time. 50 years later, the Massachusetts governor, Michael Dukakis, declared the trial unjust. And that is then the, the story behind the name of the award that the foundation mm-hmm. was recently honored with a few days ago. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we hope it doesn't get to that point where, you know, 50 years from now, we're getting, you know, some sort of a retractive sort of you yeah. know, apology. We hope that, you know, we can get that, you know, while your father is still in good health and so that he can be released and enjoy time with his family, his kids, his grandkids. I hope,
1: I, I hope so too. And I, I just think that like the focus needs to keep going back to just like a very simple human issue that these men were convicted obviously wrongfully based on whatever they look different, their race or religion or whatever it may be, but that it was just that it was, it's, it's a lot simpler than we think. It's not as political as we think. I think we like to say that's political because it kind of helps us kind of escape like that responsibility, like, Oh, I can't get involved. But it's these like five men that were taken away from their families. Their wives had to, become single moms overnight they were taken away from their children their their own parents and you know their communities they were huge parts of their community and and very very impactful people in their within their communities and it's just that simple and I feel like if we talk about and we simplify it a little bit I think people will care more and they'll understand more anybody that's a victim of any type of injustice anybody with a heart will like you know feel for it, but when you put all these extra pieces on and you you get carried away with these tactics of it being political or you put Hamas on there, just just say the word Palestine, and then everything goes downhill,
0: yeah, wrongfully convicted on the basis of totally made up evidence, you know the first trial was a failure, and then it comes back, and then there's another trial, and you know you just see the injustice when you look when you start looking at okay well how 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 could this happen, how did this happen? and 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 you see the type of evidence where it comes from what it was they're violating the rules of evidence they're violating basic standards of due process and mm-hmm. like you said it mm-hmm. all just goes back to they don't look right they don't have you know the 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 right sounding names they come from a place that we don't really understand in, in this particular environment that now all of a sudden is super anxious after 911 and so it creates this you know sort of perfect storm that results in a totally outrageous result that has deprived your father and the other political prisoners of their lives and of their liberty. Absolutely. Um,
1: And then they went after a charity, like even that. And then
0: that's that's the other thing is that not only are they wrongfully convicted, but then you didn't just pick up a random person, you know, off the street with an Arabic sounding name to wrongly convict them. You picked a person who was literally engaged in God's work, like literally doing good deeds, helping people in need, serving people in the U.S. and abroad, sick children, paying for medical care, providing humanitarian assistance. That I think is the I know, I know, yeah. and I, I that's, think that's
1: that's what we need to focus on a lot, and then we we forget. And I remember my dad this whole thing about like books, not bombs, smiles, not like like mm-hmm. this whole like you know this whole thing like just it's as simple as that. We had it on T-shirts. What was it? Books, not bombs. Bread, not, bul- bread, bread, not bread, bullets. Bread, not bullets. Like like Life basically not like their focus was they were trying to get off even the desperate kids off the streets. They were building libraries and schools, and they were giving them like backpacks. They were trying to do all these different things, and yet you went after a cherry in America. American charity so it's not even about palestine or muslims anymore like even as americans like you went after a charity like that i think was, like, they were a just basic- threatened
2: of how fast they were growing obviously they don't want palestinians getting the resources that they were getting through the hlf which is why they shut it down and what gets me is that like by shutting down the holy land foundation not only did you like ruin our lives but you also ruined the lives of so many orphans in all over the world, they stopped getting money to help them live. They stopped getting medical assistance. They stopped getting all of that. So they had to probably figure out like something else, and I like don't a know, backup. I
1: don't know why I'm blanking out, but the driver, the one that was actually convicted, got out after like a couple years. And you're sitting here saying this is like post 9 11, and it's because of 9 11 you want scapegoats it's like, oh, we saved the world. We got these like five Palestinian Americans. First of all, what does Palestine have to do with any? At the end of the day, with ISIS or Al Qaeda or whatever you want to name the group that you want to name, nothing like, okay, go after them, go, go get them, do whatever you want to do. Right. What do they have to do with it? Right. Like, it's not even like, they're not even from the same area in the middle East. Like,
3: so. APAC, yeah. the Zionist lobby probably also saw the charity as a competitor, right? Absolutely. Cause they, you know, they have significant influence. They have the ear of nearly every single politician. And so, They didn't want somebody who had similar funding, similar organization, similar infrastructure, but for the cause of Muslims to be able to have access in the halls of Congress. And by Mm -hmm. going after your father and the other members, going after the assets, freezing everything, taking everything and destroying the charity, they essentially like solidified their position as like the dominant influence in in yeah. capitol hill
1: yeah i totally agree
2: i mean uh, they were just it was just a bit big threat to them
3: usually i have more jokes but this is kind of sad <laughs> <Yeah>. laugh. <laughs> we actually,
2: honestly you know what's funny I don't know every this... time we talk about the stuff we end up laughing yeah i guess just it's it's just been a whole like it's been a whole life and i one way of coping is like by just making light of the stuff even though it's not but we make light of it and then like our dad is always the one that's so positive and he's he's the comedian in our family yeah. um he always makes us laugh about this stuff so do it's you, okay Make all the jokes you want.
0: yeah do you guys get to see him
1: we were actually Zakaria my son was supposed to see him on Tuesday he hadn't seen him in 3 years and another fight broke out and they canceled the visitation so That's kind of our lives right now. It's almost like every single time there's a holiday or like a visit, something has to happen where they have to go on lockdown, and then we don't hear from him. And then when we don't hear from him, we're like, did he get hurt or did something happen? So it's just like I'm telling you, it's like so basically, basically because
2: of the nature of the prison that he's in, they're just naturally always in lockdown, right? But because of COVID they put these like restrictions up that makes it 10 times harder to even see him. Even if we do get to visit him, they put these little like shower curtains on PVC pipes and it's literally probably like, I don't know, um, like three by five. Okay. We're sitting across from each other. I can literally put my hand around the pipe and like touch my dad, but obviously I can't do that. And we're in a big room. Every prisoner has that in front of them and it's the biggest joke ever Because if COVID is going to spread, it's going to end up spreading. And then we can't hear each other because there's a mask. And they just pick on every little thing that we're doing because they want us to hate visiting our dad. They just want this to be as another form of punishment, cruel and unusual punishment, as they say.
1: The thing is, like, the visits themselves, like, that needs a whole other podcast. A lot of times when people do interview us or talk to us, like, how are you, like, why are you smiling, like, when you're talking about it? I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, I think... In this podcast, a lot of my, a lot of like maybe aggressive side of me came out, but for the most part, we're usually like very like, eh, ha, like smiling <laughs> laughing while we're talking. It could be like a weird defense mechanism or whatever, but, but yeah. Totally like, is. Specifically, yeah. The prison itself, it's just so traumatic. Those visits are so traumatic.
3: Yeah, the guards are like, we care about COVID. That's why we're going to tear yeah, gas everyone.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then also because of the lockdowns,
2: we can hardly even speak to our dads on the phone. They let them out every other day, maybe sometimes. And if he is out, he'll only have like about 20 minutes. And during those 20 minutes, he has to choose does he want to go send an email? Does he want to go shower? Does he want to go have a phone call? And if he chooses phone call, just standing in the line can take up the whole 20 minutes because usually it'll take an hour. But because they've been letting like cell by cell out, like uh, group by group, it takes up most of his time. So he'll call, say, Say hi, how are you? Everything great? Okay, good. I gotta go. Bye. And then before he even even before he can even say bye, it'll hang up. And that's just the reality of of how it's been. It hangs up on us a, a lot of I mean, the
3: especially time. With,
1: like he says something or we say something, they don't Oh like yeah, we also so. have to be careful about what we say.
3: Prison hangs up on you.
1: Yeah, yeah because there's yeah. always someone listening. Up, you know. Up. Like oh, it's DC. not a private
2: conversation. Yeah. It, it's uh, the people, the folks in DC
1: are listening in. Always. <laughs> I mean, there. The, I mean, when we used to go visit him in the CMUs, like there was the glass in the phone, mm-hmm. and there were mind you, like it was like a triplet to Indiana. You would have to take a flight like four hours, and then
0: or drive, drive. eighteen hours. Yeah,
1: and then even when you go on the plane, we'd have to drive another two hours. It was in the middle of nowhere. I would go or like drive eighteen hours, and we'd get there, and like oh, the phones aren't working. I'm like, but we can meet each other behind the glass if you didn't need the phone. No, the phones aren't working, and they would just cancel the visit.
2: So we'd have to drive back. And, and the phones, if they're not working, we can't visit because obviously it's DCs not recorded. Yeah,
1: they can't listen to our conversations. Mm. So like we can't we can't like really speak in Arabi. We can't write in Arabi like I I can't even email my dad anymore because every time I would email him, like I would put like, blah, blah, like AAA or Salah, like stuff like that. And they thought like I was like, it was a hidden message or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just a return
3: email address from CIA.gov. Like, no, thanks. I'm
1: just kind (laughs) of like, okay. And so like now I don't even email my dad anymore because it's like always something or like when we finally got to an age where we could like, I mean, sorry, the kids could like write, you know, like cute things to her to their grandpa or whatever they would send it back because it was like a marker and what could be in the marker oh or like the type of envelope that we send it in and it's like we get like defeated and we don't do it but then i feel bad for him because like you know you get carried away or you get like in your every day-to-day life but he's like waiting for these moments we don't even send him pictures anymore because he's like they're too painful i don't i don't like pictures plus like nothing is personal like nothing is private they look through everything half the time the envelopes are like torn
0: that's completely wow. insane. You can't even speak Arabic because Arabic is just by definition, the language in and of itself is but criminal. Of course. Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So what are the, I mean, what are the kinds of things that it'll hang up? You know, the phone call will just end if if you say it in English.
1: Yesterday, so, Baba said something. He called in had hand talk. He said something like, I had nothing to do. He said something for once. He's never even said the word. I don't think he's ever said the word Hamas like in years and he said something because he's so frustrated he's like this is what I get like I had nothing like look and then it goes and then it cuts off and I'm like baba baba and then like it came back for once he usually just cuts off I'm like he's like where'd you go i've been i know you're in the same spot i'm in. i said man it's because you said what you said he said the h word (laughs) yeah and then oh and he never i don't know i don't even remember like Mm -hmm. i think i even tried to block out of my head no but sometimes when he gets passionate or whatever like it just it hangs up yeah especially when he's talking about the condition he's in yeah like the prison (gasps) And um, like, right. he doesn't really tell us what happens unless we visit him face to face, which barely And happens. even then
2: he's like whispering to us and he doesn't give us full detail. Mm-hmm. He never wants us to worry anyway. So he doesn't tell us anything. Yeah.
1: Or even when I ask him, like, are you good? He's like, yeah, I'm OK. Don't worry about me. And he'll be like, everyone's doing their job. Everyone's great here. I'm like, mm-hmm. OK. And then you know.
2: he'll crack a joke. Like <laughs> That's yeah. just the type of person he is. Like he never wants us to worry even throughout the whole trial when he lived at home with us he never ever showed us the the severity of everything he always tried to like stay positive and
1: but but lately like the past when we just found out that like they've been giving him a super hard time so i think that's also why they like with the phones and everything i don't know what triggered or what happened to be even extra with him but They've been giving him really a hard time. Like, they'll come and they'll, like, mess up his room upside down and ask him, like, tell us what's going on out in the outside world. And, like, they're always asking him. He's like, I don't know. You tell me, like, is there something going to happen? Like, because he's like, you know more than me. I mean, and the questions (laughs) are asking him and then they bring us up. And, 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 you know, like those tactics, like stuff you watch in movies, like I'm not going to repeat it, but it's like worse than you can imagine like they'll bring our names up specifically and mention things about us or and our lives and, and, and you know like well what like you know this and your daughter this and we know this and you know or um tell us i'm sure you know he's like i don't talk to anyone and when i do you guys hear my conversations like i'm i've been in this cell for like 15 years if there's any type of terrorism activity that's going to happen, how would I know? You know what I mean. He actually so, wrote a poem, yeah,
2: describing like the the questions the, they the questions that they ask, and it's on um, on his page notes and it's really good. It's so good, yeah. Not exactly like a conversation between be- them two, but it's like. Inspired by it,
1: but I'm pretty sure he
2: said those things. There's certain. Oh things, yeah, like, no, I'm, I'm sure. Like,
1: so say that the little
2: sarcastic thing. Yeah. The answers, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he he said yeah. stuff like
1: that. So it's just it's like a mental warfare for them as well. It's not just physical and emotional, spiritual. It's just it's like they really want to make every aspect of their lives miserable. It's like, isn't it enough if you already had them? Plus, by the way, like in any other place, they should, they'd be out within a year. You have rapists and murderers who get out within a couple, of, I literally was just watching this thing about this guy who was, uh, he was a pedophiler and a raper and all this. And he got out within months and was like, look, you have these people who come out and this guy who absolutely did nothing. Okay, call us like he served, let him out.
3: It's yeah, that guy you were ridiculous. watching, that guy just got elected to Knesset actually. <laughs>
0: It's, I mean, crazy, yeah, doesn't even begin to describe it. Yeah, it doesn't. It It really doesn't. It really doesn't. It's like like opposite day. It's like the people, the best people are going through the absolute worst circumstances. And there's no rhyme or reason. It makes no sense.
3: There is a terrorist government who is prosecuting a community figure for doing charity work right? The largest exporter in terrorism, the United States government prosecuted a foundation whose goal was to improve the living conditions of impoverished people worldwide. And it's like at the behest of a government that was that is also a terrorist organization founded on ethnic cleansing and supported by Jewish mafia figures. I don't know if you guys know this, but Meyer Lansky was a gangster who was heavily involved in sending money, weapons, and heavy artillery to the Zionist terror groups Haganah and Ergun. There was an organization that was a Zionist organization in the 40s. It was called the American League for a Free Palestine, which means that Free Palestine is actually a (laughs) slogan that the Zionists used initially and now has become a rallying call for Palestinians. It's something that I learned while doing research for this episode, but- Yitzhak Ben-Ami, who headed Ergun's European-based illegal immigration operations, also testified about a party where they collected money from Jewish gangsters, Meyer Lansky included, and organized fundraising affairs that spent between 50000 60000 per person for the Irgun. The Irgun, of course, is a terrorist organization that was involved in the NECBA just to to wrap it all up the yeah. terrorists who financed murder and ethnic cleansing ultimately were involved in the sentencing of an innocent man who was doing charity and i think that's the episode folks
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i can't imagine how exhausted you must be talking about this all the time but like like you said it is your life and i'm you know you, you know you guys find ways to to cope right and and you laugh about it mm-hmm. the ridiculousness of it and and i just want to thank you for your for your energy for for showing up for telling us the story of your father and and the story of the holy land foundation i hope that our listeners learn something today and will use the information that you presented to us in this episode and and tell their friends, their families about the Holy Land Foundation, about the Holy Land Five, and call for the release of the remaining Holy Land Five political prisoners and all political prisoners in the U.S. and abroad, because this is really just one amongst many people who have, like you said, been caught mm-hmm. up in the abuse of state power. And really, it's it's just people's lives here that they're messing with families and communities. And we wish you girls all the best, your families all the best. And we call for an immediate release of Shukri and the remaining Holy Land Five political prisoners.
3: And we'll do our absolute best to get it in front of the eyes of the average Joe.
0: Thank you so
1: much. This means to us more than you'll ever, ever know.
3: Thanks for coming on. We so appreciate your time and uh, your impressive dedication to freedom. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Go ahead and find our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Check us out on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com palestinepod. That's been another episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.
0: But you know, they say imitation is you know flattery or some bullshit. I don't know.
3: They they I think the people who <laughs> said that were thieves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then question, do you guys hear kids screaming in the background? No. Okay.
3: No. Are they should, screaming? Should we be concerned? That seems <laughs> <laughs> that's just <laughs> a song.
2: they're just playing downstairs. Oh, so <laughs> we tried to run away upstairs and had in a
0: room so
3: yeah hey (laughs) let me let me know if you guys hear any kids screaming from my basement you know what i mean (laughs) that would that would be separate issue (laughs) (laughs) michael has no children
0: so